2: The FT Pay into a pension scheme and get a reduced mortgage offer by way of thanks. The man taking over from Neil Woodford. All you need to know about Mark Barnett. And just when you thought it was safe to buy bank PIBs and preference shares, Lloyds announces another capital restructuring. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'm joined this week by FT experts. Emma Dunkley. Hello. Elaine Moore. Hello and investment correspondent David Oakley. Hello. Now, most people would accept that saving for your retirement is a good thing. The government certainly does. It has set up auto-enrolment to make sure everybody is putting money aside for old age. Between now and 2018, virtually every employed person in the UK will be automatically signed up to a pension scheme. But how would you feel if we told you that saving for your retirement could leave you unable to buy a house? Some of the UK's leading mortgage lenders, including Santander, Nationwide and Virgin Money, are now looking at things like pension contributions, life insurance premiums and student loan repayments as part of their affordability checks. In some cases, they can make a big difference to the mortgage offer that may be forthcoming. Emma Dunkley has more. Emma, first of all, why are mortgage lenders suddenly taking such an interest in things like student loans and pension contributions?
1: So this is largely due to the mortgage market review which comes into force at the end of April and these rules essentially are aimed at protecting borrowers insofar as they want to ensure homeowners and borrowers can repay their mortgage on a monthly basis and sort of prevent a 2007 scenario where there was lots of high-risk lending going on which led to lots of borrowers being unable to repay on their mortgage. So as a result of this, lots of lenders are now stepping up their scrutiny and questioning over borrowers' income and expenditure. They're drilling down even deeper and asking questions such as how much do you contribute to a pension on a monthly basis? They can even ask questions as crazy as how much do you spend on grooming, how much do you spend on your glasses and how much do you spend on hair care, although these are in rare extreme scenarios. And the idea being is that if you have more monthly regular contributions, perhaps lenders will think that you're less able to pay back a higher loan as a result, if you do regularly save into a pension or pay off a student loan, you may find that you're offered a smaller mortgage.
2: OK, and what sort of a difference might it make? Are we talking material here or just a, or just a, sort of a few pounds?
1: Um, in many cases, it might be immaterial, but in some cases it can be substantial. So, for example, we've looked at two borrowers who each earn £50,000. They can borrow a maximum of 500000 from Santander, for example. But if these borrowers have a pension and a student loan, then the maximum amount that they can get is £476,000. On top of this, if they then have a joint life insurance, then the mortgage offer they would get would drop to £445,000. So this is quite a big difference.
2: OK, yes, tens of thousands of pounds. So if you're a prospective borrower... Uh, And assuming you don't want to stop contributing to your pension and you can't stop paying back your student loan, um, is there anything else you can do other than uh, simply trying another lender?
1: Not all lenders will have the same questions in place. So it is a case that some may ask you more questions and drill down deeper into your income and expenditure and others might be slightly more lenient. But aside from shopping around, you can also opt for a longer term mortgage because this tends to improve your affordability calculations And as a result, what you can then do is overpay slightly each month to then bring down your mortgage term to the length that you desire.
2: Okay, and finally, I mean, lots of people would say, actually, it's better that lenders are looking at all these criteria and scrutinising people's earnings properly with all this talk of house price bubbles and maybe interest rates rising next year. Is it right that lenders go into such detail?
1: It's a bit of a contradictory situation insofar as in the last year, year and a half, you've seen schemes unveiled by the government and the Bank of England aimed at helping first-time buyers and more prospective borrowers get onto the housing ladder by offering cheaper loans, more affordable mortgages. So in that sense, you've seen more people come to the market and house prices driven up higher. But on the other side of the coin, you now have this situation where as a result of the regulations in April, lenders are going to be tighter with their lending So you could end up with a situation where the demand is still there, but fewer people are able to get the mortgages. Some might be outright denied a mortgage, others will likely just get a smaller size. So it's a bit of a contradictory situation in that regard.
2: Okay, thank you very much, Emma. You can read more about this on our website right now. The address is FT.com forward slash money. And it'll also be in this weekend's FT Money, which is available on Saturdays and Sundays as part of the weekend FT. We'd love to hear your views too. You can email us at money at ft.com or reach us via Twitter. The handle is ftmoney. Still to come on the show, Lloyd's puts investors' noses out of joint for a second time. But first, let's look at some of the UK's most popular investments, Invesco Perpetual's income and high-income funds, which between them have almost £30 billion under management. Last October, Neil Woodford, the manager of both funds, stunned the investment world by announcing that he was leaving Invesco Perpetual to start his own fund management business. Invesco moved quickly to nominate a replacement, Mark Barnett, who has now formally taken the reins of the funds where Mr Woodford made his name. Mr Barnett has a good track record, but with funds that are much smaller than the ones he is now managing and the well-choreographed succession plan at Invesco has not stopped investors removing about £5 billion from the funds. Some fear that much more money will leave once the rival Woodford venture is up and running. David Oakley, the FT's investment correspondent, met Mr Barnett recently at Invesco's Henley headquarters, and he joins us now. David, first of all, you met Mark. What's he like?
3: Well, he's, um, he's a good bloke. He's a good guy. Um, and um, in, in many ways, uh, he's very similar to Woodford, both in appearance and um, manner. He's uh, shortish, stocky, taciturn, very thoughtful. Um, and he's clearly a, a guy who's intelligent and know, knows what he's let himself in for. It's the most high-profile job in UK retail fund management. And this is a man who's um, prepared for the challenge in many ways.
2: Do you think his approach will differ um, markedly from Neil Woodford's or are they essentially cut from the same cloth?
3: I think essentially they're they're very similar. They've both worked together for 18 years. Barnet is 42, Woodford is 53. Barnet is, if you like, 10 years behind Woodford in terms of experience and fund management they are very similar. Barnett has clearly taken a lot of lessons from how Woodford manages his funds. Uh, Woodford likes to look at the macro environment and then assess which companies fit into that environment and will make money for his investors. Barnett is going to do the same same kind of thing. However, the, some people say that Barnett might be a little bit more defensive, might be a little bit more cautious. And this is where some might question him in the sense that, Woodford made two very big calls which have really earned him his reputation as um, one of the best fund managers of his era. And that was not to buy tech stocks at the height of the bubble and not to buy bank stocks at the height of the, the financial bubble in 2004-2005. Some people say, well, would Barnett have been brave enough to do the same thing? Possibly he would, actually, but um, we don't know Barnet probably will be able to pick up the baton and do the same as Woodford and do a similar job, but there is still... um some uncertainty there, possibly for some investors.
2: Okay. now you mentioned that um, Neil Waterford very astutely avoided crazily priced dot-com stocks and also uh, avoided bank shares. What sort of companies does the fund tend to own? The income fund, the
3: flagship funds, um, have about 120 stocks in them. So we're talking about all companies. There there are the big household names, BT Group, Roche, British American Tobacco. And then there's a lot of um, aim-listed companies and unquoted companies And again, some people speculate, and I stress this is speculation because Invesco haven't been drawn on this, but it is possible that Barnett may sell down some of the smaller companies, such as the aim-listed and the unquoted ones, and stick with the big favourites. I think what you will see is a fund manager who will have a very diverse portfolio of funds from the big defensive stocks to the more cyclical, and in many ways his caution may be a good thing because this year is going to be a tricky year for active managers with central bank tapering, Chinese economy, doubts about growth. And I think Barnet is going to play a very safe hand. And I think that might restrict big shoot the lights out kind of returns. But I think your money will be probably quite safe with him.
2: One final question, and that's the one of size. Now, both the um, income and high income funds are very, very big. Now, the billions or even tens of billions under management. Does that create a drag on their performance, which is going to make it hard for for Mark Barnett to, in the long term, achieve the kind of returns that Neil Woodford did?
3: Some fund managers and analysts think that actually this has been the downfall of Woodford at the height of his success. Let's go back to the end of two thousand and four. Um, He outperformed the market by 77 percentage points. Um, The flagship income fund at the time was about 1.6 billion. Um, At the end of 2013, it had grown to over 9 billion. And over the previous five years, he had underperformed the market by 15 percentage points. So the statistics suggest that actually size has hindered uh, Woodford's ability to produce returns. And I think there is some strong evidence there that the bigger the fund becomes, it is difficult to build up a position quickly you do have to hold more large stocks which are harder to get performance from in terms of they the market is pretty much priced in what they expect on these kind of companies and also very large companies there is limited growth because they are already very big so I do think that actually um, smaller more nimble funds do tend to outperform and that is an issue for Barnett because he's going to have 25 billion under management now and that will be one of the trickiest things for him to do is perform with so much money under his control
2: David, thank you very much. You can read David Oakley's exclusive first interview with Mark Barnett in this weekend's FT Money, where there's also some interesting data on how fund size correlates with performance and more information on how key holdings in the Invesco funds have contributed to that spectacular growth. FT Money is part of the Weekend FT, which you can read also on mobile devices and online at ft.com forward slash money. If you want to join the debate, you can leave comments at the foot of articles on our website, you can tweet us at ftmoney, or you can email us. The address, once again, is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. For many years, the subordinated debt issued by banks was very popular with private investors, especially those seeking a reliable income. We're talking about things like permanent interest-bearing shares, often known as PIBs, and preference shares. Many of these were issued in the 1990s when interest rates were much higher than now and paid generous dividends as a result. They were regarded as more secure than shares and they were usually perpetual, meaning that there was no redemption date to worry about. But the financial crisis changed all that. Dividends on some issues were stopped altogether and many issuing banks tried to redeem or call in such issues as they are expensive as a form of finance. In 2009, Lloyds Bank undertook a massive capital restructuring which included strong-arming retail investors in its popular preference share issues into accepting a new form of security, known euphemistically as an enhanced capital note. Now the bank is at it again. As part of its latest restructuring, or as it describes its liability management exercise, Lloyds wants to buy retail investors out of the fancy new bonds it issued during its last round of financial engineering. Some investors are crying foul and Elaine Moore can hopefully tell us why. Elaine, what's the bank trying to do this time?
4: So this is all quite technical. If I tell you that I spoke to the Financial Times banking editor yesterday and he was bemoaning the fact that it was incredibly technical and difficult to understand, then that might help you understand why It's quite complicated and why investors are maybe being put into quite a difficult situation. But the numbers make this quite important. So this is hundreds of thousands of investors who hold these ECNs. They're kind of bonds that could turn into shares or could be eliminated completely if a bank gets into trouble. So there's hundreds of thousands of people who hold them. They're paying out quite a lot so there were income payments up to 16% a year. This is really really generous. The reason for that is because when these original investments were provided interest rates were very high so now they look incredibly generous. It's quite expensive for the bank to provide these but the main problem that the bank has is that under new European rules these particular sorts of investments might not count as this sort of safe money that banks need to have as a cushion in case they get into trouble. So for that reason it wants to either swap them or buy them back.
2: Now, I gather uh, one familiar figure in the world of uh, PIBs and PREFs, Mark Tabor, is already saying that actually this is not fair and that the, the banks should be doing better. What's the nub of his complaints about it? Is it the terms or is it the procedure that's being followed?
4: Yeah, so this is good news for Lloyd's bondholders because if Mark Tabor is on your side, then that's probably a positive thing. He's fresh from his success representing co-op bondholders and getting them a better deal. He says that this is a very complicated issue and that retail investors, private investors, private aren't being represented in the talks and that there's no independent view on how good this deal is. So Lloyd says that it's going to buy back these investments at market price. So that means that whatever they're being traded at the moment, you'll get that money and the prices have come up since they were provided in 2009. So you should make money. He says uh, that actually the prices have come down quite recently and that there's no evidence that Lloyds can um, bully investors into selling these back. He says that they need to be given more time and then things need to be explained to them a little bit better
2: okay now both the, the companies concerned and the city regulator the financial conduct Authority seems rather keen to get retail investors out of these types of security altogether why do you think that is given their historic popularity
4: yeah this is another issue of contention so um, the regulator was involved in structuring these investments in the first place and it was at a time when banks had taken taxpayer money they were in trouble the idea was that these sorts of investments would Prevent them from having to take future taxpayer money so they would be more secure if they ran into problems in the future. It knew, the regulator knew that lots and lots of individual investors were being coerced into getting hold of these products. And now it seems to be saying it doesn't want them to hold these products anymore I think it's because they're very complicated and that retail investors who hold them maybe don't understand exactly what the terms are so originally they may have bought something that was being explained to them as a sort of alternative to a bank account um, to a cash deposit so it's safe it paid out lots of money it carried on forever it's being provided by a big UK bank it looks like a really secure kind of investment you can rely on that income actually if a bank gets into trouble your investment might be turned into shares or it might be wiped out altogether I the regulator isn't sure that investors are aware of that.
2: Thank you very much, Elaine. We have more on the very complex Lloyd's restructuring and how it affects retail debt holders on our website at ft.com forward slash money, and it's also in this weekend's paper. Elsewhere, we talk to publishing magnate Peter Osborne about how he made his fortune, and we have a piece from David Stevenson about different investing styles. While Marin Somerset Webb looks at forestry as an investment. My column looks at what to expect in the budget. Will we get another raid on pensions, a cap on ISIS or more taxes on high-end property? All will be revealed when the Chancellor arrives at the House of Commons next Wednesday. I'll be helping cover the speech along with political and economics writers on the FT's live blog and we'll have comprehensive analysis online on the day and we'll be back on Thursday with a special budget edition of The Money Show. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Elaine, Emma, and David. For more
3: downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.
4: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.